What's your Everest? You know, the highest mountain on earth, a metaphor for a goal that is so big that it scares you to even speak it out loud. That goal that takes more than a season, a year, or maybe takes a lifetime to even accomplish. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain and your host as we meet inspiring individuals who know what it's like to set big goals and how to accomplish them. Welcome to My Everest, a 29029 podcast. You probably know John Peel as one of iFit's most popular trainers. His iconic smile, positive attitude, amazing abs, and his globetrotting workout series. Life's hard for two reasons, right? You're either staying in your comfort zone or you're leaving your comfort zone. As long as you're not staying on that plateau, I think everyone's going to be going in the right direction. His ability to drop these nuggets of wisdom and motivation have inspired the masses for more than a decade. But like you and me, John's life wasn't a straightforward path to celebrity trainer status. For about a month, I was dark. Like, I'm talking dark to where, you know, I didn't want to be around anymore. And it was scary. John sat down and shared his story with me. And I learned a lot, not just about John Peel, but about how we can be resilient and how we can take even the darkest of experiences in our own life and turn them into something that can inspire others. In 2021, we met John when he showed up at the base of Snow Basin to experience something new. He was going to attempt to climb Everest or at least 29,029 feet without leaving the state of Utah. When we first found out, because I've been with iFit, you know, for over 10, 12 years, essentially. So we found out they, that they acquired 2929. I started doing some research and just digging into it. I'm like, man, this would be incredible if I even had an opportunity to try something like this. Because again, not knowing too much about it, it was just kind of one of those things like, oh my gosh, like you're going to go to a mountain and go climb Everest, essentially. And that's the ultimate goal. But little did I know really what like the community was about, what the, the process building up to 29029, the, the things of the coaching, the videos, the motivation, the stories behind it. I Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be a part of it because I, I was signed up so late to it and still didn't know what that was. Getting that first like taste of the mountain showing up, it was almost, it was, it brought me kind of back to like playing days, like where there's a big game and you're walking out of the locker room and you're like, oh shit, like this is real. Like what is about to happen? You know, like this was kind of one of those things where I'm like, gosh, I, I'm, I'm okay. And I'm pretty strong when it comes to incline training. I do a lot of hiking in Arizona. But then when you get to the reality of it and you go and you just see the beast that's in front of you, you're like, wait, how many times I got to go up that thing? And then why do I have 36 hours to do this? Like, man, we are in trouble. Like, that's a long time, which means this is not going to be easy. And I think just looking at the big picture of it, you know, that's what's going to defeat you is like, you can't look at how many times do I got to 13 times, 16 times, whatever it may be depending on the mountain. Like that was the one thing that I just told myself, like, don't look at it like that. Let's just, take it a little step at a time and see where it gets you. But I think just seeing everyone else's excitement and then the motivational speakers, you know, when Colin spoke and Jesse and all those guys, and then hearing Mark come out there who started the whole thing and like hearing them just talk about it, that it's more just about the community. This is not a race. This isn't something that you're going to go and like, no one cares about what time you get. It's more just about like experiencing every route, every time you meet a new person um, and just the stories that can be told. And, and actually just like it settled me in before we, we kicked off and started going. 
at 29 or 29, one of the things we love to do is tell people stories. And we have a website just full of stories of people who have overcome or people who have come to the mountain. And maybe they didn't overcome that first time, but they had to come back and they had to do it again. And that spirit of grit that 29029 brings out is so unique from other events I know that I've experienced. Did you have that same feeling? Yeah, absolutely. And you said it best, the, the grit. I feel like that's the best way to explain what it is. You have to be gritty. It's going to get gritty. But yeah, just hearing people's stories, um, especially the ones who have returned because they know how hard it is just to get there and show up and compete with your best. And someone's best that's there could be finishing it and earning, you know, earning the hat. Or someone's best could just be getting two laps done. We got to meet some participants who showed up a year later and got four laps and six laps and, you know, just beating their personal best. And I think that's what kind of put everything into perspective is, is realizing that, you know, we're all, we are all out there. We are all different athletes and we're all come from a different cloth, but we all come together to help motivate one another. And I think that's what the community is now. And if you talk to anybody, I'll, I've been in passing, whether I'm, I have the hat on or seen someone wearing their hat. And you start telling your stories, just like we're doing now, you start telling your stories and everyone, everyone has the same exact like mindset going into it and thoughts and theories about it, you know? So it's cool just knowing like everyone is a complete stranger when you walk up to that mountain, but by the end of it, you know, you all leave like with the, with that same, uh, that same mentality where you actually are cut from the same cloth, you know, you're not as, as different as you think you, you may be to the person next to you. I love that about 29029 specifically is where when we get to the mountain, it kind of sheds our layers a little bit and we are just normal people because you could be climbing the mountain next to somebody who's done 50 marathons or someone who's run a hundred miler or somebody who's never even done a 5k before. You have mothers up there. You have people who have battled cancer. You have people who have overcome so much, but we are all together doing the same thing. And I think there's something really, really powerful about that you're up there competing against yourself no one else everyone else up there is your teammate essentially and whether you're going faster than someone else it, it's almost rude if you don't pass by someone and just give them like hey you got this you know like one of those just a little bit of genuine motivation nothing too much it doesn't maybe a conversation but everyone's up there with their head down trying to get this job done and just getting gritty with it. So yeah, there's that level of, of competition that I think is up there within everyone's personal abilities that really drives that mountain. Looking at your story in particular, and I, I don't think a lot of people know really John Peel's story. We see you as an iFit trainer. We see you as this quote unquote celebrity trainer. I know you don't like that title, but that celebrity trainer, this guy who's fit and he gets to travel the world and he's jet setting all over the place to some of these beautiful places. But how did John Peel get to that point? I can't imagine it's all just rosy and it's all just easy. And one day you're like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I set out to do in my life. The way everything kind of happened is incredible. I, mean, I, I have been an athlete my whole life and love playing sports and been in sports since I could walk. And so being on a team or just being competitive was part of my nature. And I, I love it. And so playing football as a high school athlete, that's when you, you get by with your physical capabilities. You know, you don't really have to tap in up here quite yet. There are times, but you're able to show yourself and prove yourself what work, work ethic is, but not to a, a complete understanding. So again, 
I was able and fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go play at the University of Utah. Um, I played, I was recruited by Urban Meyer, who's a, a coach who went on to Ohio State and Florida, won all these national championships. And at the time, I didn't even know who the guy was. And it was funny because when I was recruited to Utah, I didn't know Utah had a football team. I didn't know anything about Utah. Back then, you know, it was one of those things like, okay, I'll, I'll take a scholarship. And again, not putting into perspective how, how powerful that was. But you um, came out of high school. You were a successful athlete. I mean, you were a state champion athlete. You were athlete of the year. You set tons of records. You probably had some big expectations. Yeah. And and again, it was one of those things where you just kind of, you kind of just assume it's going to be easy, you know? And then I got to college and right off the bat, you're throwing in two days and, you know, you're, I'm 18 and you're playing against guys who are 24, 25, just grown men. And that's when it, it's the same thing, I think, is that very first lap I did at 29, 29, where you just get punched in the mouth and you are, you got to ask yourself, do I belong here, you know, or how are we going to get through this? And having natural abilities in sports, you kind of get away with that sometimes, but not at that level. So that's when it was, a, that was a big reality check. And unfortunately, my second week in the camp, I tore my knee. So I had that surgery, got sidelined that, that whole year. And that was just you know, another, a rehab process, just not just physically for my body, but for my mind, it was the first time that I really had a serious injury. And so I started questioning myself, do I belong here? Should I be doing this? I'm away from home for the first time. Now the winter hits. I don't like the cold weather. <laughs> and it's snowing and you're rehabbing and me. Yeah. So all these things start building up, but you know, having, ha- having family on my side and legitimately my parents saying, you're not leaving, like you're not coming home because of an injury. Right. And your dad was a football player. And so he had some experience with that. Yeah, exactly. And so he, he had, my dad, he's a gritty dude. And he has that, that mindset where he's like, what do you mean you want to come back? Or like, you know, that's, that's never been an option. So don't even, why are you even saying these words out loud? And so, you know, you buckle down and you go back to work and the rehab, you know, helped. And I was able to come back and play the next year, the following year. Um, I, unfortunately, once again, this is the one that kind of like set me to where I am today was I was going across the middle. I took a, a really bad shot to my neck and my head and I got knocked out cold and I woke up on a stretcher. And when that happened, when I came to, we were in the ambulance going to the hospital. I didn't know what was going on. You know, they're asking if I could feel my feet and this and that. And, you know, I was crying and I was like, man, am I paralyzed? You don't know these things, especially if you're in a hospital, you go from just putting on the pads with your, with your brothers in the locker room and the next thing you're getting taken off on the stretcher. So luckily everything in my nerves and everything started to come back my extremities and they didn't realize, but what I had done, I tore a bunch of like vessels and veins that bled through my shoulder and paralyzed my shoulder. And so that was another process that I had to start all over again was that. So I obviously wasn't able to play for that season, but in the meantime, I'm only picking things up with the right side of my body because my left side doesn't work. So for about a couple of months, my arm would just like flop to the side and just would just dangle. And then eventually the nerves started to regenerate and I got my strength back there. But in the meantime, I'm lifting everything with my right side of my body. I'm still trying to train because I'm like, when this gets better, I'm going to come back even stronger. And you start to like build that mental toughness. I mean, how old are you at this point? Are you even 20 years old? I'm 20. I know when I was 20 years old, I mean, having that capacity to handle an injury like that, that must have been really earth like shifting. Yeah. And it was scary at times because again, it was like, well, will I ever have use of this arm or, you know, what, how am I going to come back? Will I come back the same athlete? 
Um, and luckily I did in that sense, but the, all the lifting with one side of my body left to me blowing out my lower back and I end up herniating my L5 S1. And that, that was the moment, that was the moment in my, my career, my life where the first time ever for about a month, I was dark. Like I'm talking dark to where, you know, I, I didn't want to be around anymore and it was scary. And cause I'm living off of pain pills and that's the only way I can survive to go to sleep. I couldn't even go to class. I couldn't sit in a chair. I couldn't get on a flight just because of the radiating pain that goes all the way down your leg to the point where it was just like so severe. I really couldn't function without pills and it wasn't for anything else besides the pain. It wasn't like I enjoyed being on it at the age of 21. I had to take a, a, a chance with having back surgery. That's not something you really want to do at that age, but every rehab I did, every shot that I got in my back didn't help. It was either get surgery or I wouldn't be here today. When I ultimately made that decision, we went through with it. I got, I got it done at the university. Um, by some of the greatest doctors out there. And I woke up from that surgery and the pain in my leg, that blowtorch feeling that was inside my leg for the last eight months was gone. I took a couple of moments of just like realizing that my body may be fixed. And then I started, once again, I tapped into that, that mental state of mind where it was like, all right, this is gonna be a long process, but at least I'm still here. And at least I have something to work for again. Those are the moments that got me into training and wanting to train other people and kind of just spread what that is, not even on the physical aesthetic part of it. Like that comes with the package, but it was more just that mindset, you know, having that mental state of mind that we can create ourselves into something that we really want to do without letting our physicality break us down. Because I mean, our, our brain and our, the power that we have up here is so much stronger than what we have throughout the rest of our body. So Figuring that out and tapping into that and learning that and actually experiencing that, I think is what really, really brought me to being and wanting to explore this, this new world of sharing that. It, it was definitely a blessing in disguise having that injury. And it's, it's hard to see those blessings and maybe the end when you're in it. Like you said, I mean, you had to wade through a really dark spot. And I think anyone who's been through chronic pain knows what you're talking about. They've been there. And a lot of times they can't explain that pain and they they don't know what to do with it. And finding yourself in that spot can be a real challenge to navigate. And that that must give you a whole different perspective when, when you work with clients. I mean, you work with clients that are the full gamut now, clients who I'm sure go through these same things. Yeah. And being in it for so long, well, yeah, you, you've seen it all, you hear it all. People who have way worse stories than I ever will, you know, and again back to everyone coming together and actually being cut from the same cloth it's everyone wanting to experience a healthier a better person that goes into or leaving it than they, than they came in going into it and it reflects a lot on who we are as just human beings that we always want to do better we always want to be better that's why we do anything in life to just try to progress at these little things whatever they are and stacking these little habits just knowing that yeah everyone's gone through something and whether it's the most minimal thing, whether it is, you know, stage four cancer, whatever it is, these things that people are beating and conquering every day, I think just builds up to mental toughness. And that's what, that's what we get to bottle up and something else down the road may, may come, whether it's facing the mountain, you know, and it's like, how am I going to get through this? But then you just open up that bottle of mental toughness and it's like, oh, this is, you know, this is game, set, match. I got this. I've been through a lot worse than this. 
So those experiences, I think they, they help grow other attributes within your, your mindset for sure. And with your injury, did you get back to playing football in college? You know, where is that injury today? Again, with the rehab, when I started the rehab process, once again, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, all right, I'll go back to work and do this again. We've done this before. And this one was a longer time away from the field, but I got myself to good enough shape to, I was able to be cleared by some doctors and go play again. So I actually ended up finishing off my college career, um, my junior and senior year, I was able to play two years in a row. And with, you know, lingering pain for sure. I had to stay away from a lot of things as again, as a young high school kid, you're like, put as much weight on the bar as you can. Let's go squat it. You know, now I don't do that because we, we train a lot smarter as we get older. Cause we have to, we don't recover as fast as we used to. Um, and so things like that obviously changed a lot, but I was able to come back and play two more years and yeah, I still, I still deal with back issues, but nothing like they were that my discs will, you know, slip every now and then. And when that happens, I know it's about a week process to where I got to get back on my feet and do the things right. But if I keep up with maintenance and all that, then things are usually pretty solid and pretty good. When you, you know, you suffered these injuries and it, it kind of changed the trajectory a little bit. Luckily you were able to finish out your collegiate career with football. Did you ever see yourself as going into the fitness industry before that? Like, was that part of what John Peel wanted to do? After the back surgery happened, I personally would spend a lot more time than I think the average healthy athlete who just goes in for the hour long training session with our strength coach, you know, and then just leaves. I knew I had to take a little bit more time and care. So I would stay longer hours in the gym after we'd finished with a team workout and just do some little things for myself for rehab. And then some other guys kind of like started jumping on board and be like, all right, what, are, what else are you going to do today? You know? And, and it kind of, it was kind of cool. Like, is that sensation? Like, Oh man, guys are like looking at me to help them with other things or like working out. And I took it wholeheartedly and I, I, I really appreciate it. And so it became one of those things like people started calling, all right, what do we got body by peel today? You know, <laughs> and not going to lie. Most of the workouts that we would do after our workout were just more aesthetics. You know, it's like, Oh, we didn't get to do some curls today. Let's go to, let's go get the arms. Right. I mean, but you're still was, college boys, right? I mean, yeah, totally. yeah, totally. <laughs> you're college boys and you want great abs. I mean, we get it. It's uh, totally right, good. Exactly. exactly. It was the summertime. <laughs> but yeah. And so like that, that's kind of like where I grew this passion for it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then one thing led to the next. And then I was starting to train some of our guys for the combine when they would graduate. So going more into sports specific, still through football. And then I would coach some high school kids in Utah uh, after I graduated and that, that's kind of when I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I don't know where it's going to take me or how, what it's going to lead to, but definitely this is, I, I want to help people. I want to work out with people. I want to stay in shape myself because I know how important it was for my mental and physical state of mind. When did it take off to the point that you weren't just working with high school kids playing football in, in Utah? When did you see it become something that was, wait, I, I'm really good at this. This is something I can really offer to really high-level athletes. So once I graduated from Utah, I moved to LA, had some opportunities out there in fitness and more, more on the corporate side, not the hands-on training, but I knew no matter what, I was going to just still do that on the side. So when I got to LA, I kind of just started and I, I feel like I, you know, I might've just right place, right time, met the right people right off the bat. And then the referrals started coming through left and right, pretty much had a full schedule. And I had a, I, I stopped working for the company that I was out there for just because I knew I, that's not, that wasn't my calling. 
And it just picked up so fast that that's where I kind of put all my, my time and investment into. So I was training anyone from CEOs of companies to professional athletes to the maintenance guy who worked at our apartment that I was living at the time. So it didn't matter who you are. I was training it was, and it, it made me become a chameleon as well in the sense of being adapt. I never put myself in one category. It wasn't just professional athletes. It wasn't just celebrities. It was just a big group of mix of people of everybody. A lot of trainers will just stick into one kind of client. But, you know, you hear, especially with iFit, you're talking to the masses. You're talking to the moms who just had a baby a few months ago. And you're talking to the the men who have decided that they were a football player, but now they're a little bit older and they want to get back into fitness. And then you also have high-level clients. How is the training different or how is it the same with those different clients that you have? I think just having an overall perspective of what we're, what we're there to achieve. Being around so many different athletes and so many different range of people growing up through my own training, trainers who trained me. I think what happens is within 10, 15 minutes of getting to know someone, see the way they move, you can pick up on it fast. You can tell, is this going to be a mentally weak or a mentally tough client? When we're talking to the masses, like with iFit, I can't control everyone's machine that's in that class because they're at home. If I'm with them physically, yeah, I'm going to help them out. I can see what they're doing. So you have to be able to speak to people in a way to make them feel comfortable, but also give them a push. I'm not a drill sergeant by any means. That's not my style. I'm not going to sit and scream and yell and because I've had that, you know, I've been taught that and I don't, and I don't translate like that. Some people do, and that's okay. And that's why I'm not for everybody, not every trainer is for any, you know, everybody as well. But what I'm going to do is help you tap into some of those potentials that you may not be able to, to actually see in yourself or even feel essentially in a workout. Sometimes it has to be the right word at the right time to get someone to spark and just go crazy. Being able to feel and express what I've been through physically and with coming back and with having to find that grit inside, even though if you feel completely defeated at times, I think seeing that and reflecting and helping people find that in themselves, I think goes a long way. Colin O'Brady talks about this all the time. What's your Everest? You know, what's your big goal? What are you reaching for? And we use the mountain as a metaphor. What's John Peel's big goal? What's your Everest? My personal Everest, and I don't know if my wife can attest to this, spending those moments now just cherishing when we're not chasing our Everest. It's going to be more just being in the moment and creating this family atmosphere that we have now with our daughter. She's almost, she's going to be two in about a month and a half and not always chasing our Everest in the sense of being everywhere you know, and being okay with that. I think we're more uncomfortable when we're home for a couple of weeks at a time. Right now, it's just going to be absorbing those moments at home and actually just not putting in all this time to, to the next big thing that we're going to go do, but just understanding that we're home for a reason because we, we have traveled and we have worked and now we, we've earned this time to reflect and we, we don't do a good job at that. And we both will admit that, you know, so it's because we are, we're always on the go, so it become our norm. So I think our Everest is going to be our calm and just making sure that we can take full advantage of those moments. I appreciate that a lot. And I think other people will as well, because there's times and seasons in our life that sometimes it's time to push for the summit and other times it's to recognize that there's other things and becoming a parent, becoming a spouse, those things can change our priorities. And, and not saying that we 
are washed up and we're not going to do anything anymore. It's not that. It's that there are times and seasons and being able to refocus that, which is difficult for a lot of people. Like you said, sometimes that is an Everest. You know, being at home and having to step back from what you're used to, that can be really challenging, just as challenging as pushing a mountain. Sometimes I find it easier to go out and do a four-hour run than it is to sit with my kids and entertain them for four hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And so I think that is for the, the short duration of this, this life we live right now, it's going to be that because we know that eventually our time will run out when it comes to how active can we be or, you know, how much my wife's a stunt woman. So how much can her body handle? How long does she want to keep doing that for? And same with my job, just I have to be active in order to, to perform. And so eventually we know the reality of it. You know, things can change fast. Being able to handle ourselves when we aren't active, I think that's the biggest for us is going to be the biggest competition. <laughs> Our Everest comes in all different shapes and sizes, and, and that's a really great one. I've been a, a personal trainer and, and things in my lifetime as well. And when your job demands your body to be in that kind of shape, and like you mentioned yourself and your wife with her stunt woman, things that she does, it is something that that can't go on forever. It's it's not, I mean, it can at a certain level, but it changes and we have to be okay with it changing. How do you deal with that? I mean, it's it's hard when our bodies change. Yeah, it's, it's a reality check for sure. Um, and there is, I think I struggled a lot more with it a few years back when that first shift happened where you're like, wait a minute, why, why can't I do that anymore? Why can't I feel this way anymore? Or why can't I wake up and just bounce out of bed right now? You know, I think those, those earlier shifts, those are the ones that gave me a reality check. Like, all right, I am essentially getting old, older than when I was like a, a performing athlete. But now it's to the point where I think we're okay with that particular extreme moments in our life running its course because now I see myself, you know, wanting to be able to bend over and walk and play with my daughter and do those things that, man, if, if we keep going on this route, I don't know if our bodies can keep up, you know, if something extreme happened, like what if we couldn't do these things? So I think it's, it's kind of just that win-win situation. We're going we're gonna to play it out until, you know, it, it, it's done playing its course and then it's time to settle in and embrace that as well. But again, back to your point, settling in is really hard. <laughs> it is really hard. And I was having a conversation with an older athlete the other day and I had made the comment that age, age is just a number. And it was interesting, the response I got where she said, no, it's not just a number. I have different challenges. I have a different path that I need to take. And it kind of set me back a minute because I'm I'm used to being that cheerleader, like you can do anything. Age is just a number. And it took me a minute to really digest that and think there's a lot of wisdom in what she's saying where we don't treat ourselves today like we did 20 years ago. We don't treat ourselves, you know, tomorrow like we are today. That that's gonna be fluid and it's going to have to change but that doesn't mean we can't still do big things. They just might be a little different. Yeah, they might be a little different. And I think it was said, uh, life's harder for two reasons, right? You're either staying in your comfort zone or you're leaving your comfort zone. And so I think that goes with everybody in whatever journey they're in, whether they're 
they're starting to taper off or they're starting to take this to another level. As long as you're not staying on that plateau, I think everyone's going to be going in the right direction. Always be climbing. We always say that with 29029. Let's always, just, always. just just keep climbing. It doesn't matter which way. Just make unless sure. That, unless you're in that gondola, because that, that ride down is so nice. <laughs> That's your one reprieve that you get. That's your rest that you get, the 15 minutes down the mountain. Uh, so glorious. And rest is glorious and balance is glorious because it just makes all those other things that we can do, we can be that much more grateful for them on the other side. Absolutely. There you have it. My Everest, the latest episode of the 29029 podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about 29029 events or read more stories from an incredible community of individuals, you can head over to 29029everesting.com. That's 29029everesting.com. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain. Keep climbing. We'll meet you at the next summit.